tonight, just we'll just close in prayer and go home from there. I'm just tired, that's all. Romans chapter 4, though. We should finish Romans chapter 4 up tonight. And boy, I, I, I think this is... This should be just a genuine help when it comes to faith, and I can't wait to even get into Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, even in Romans chapter 8. And, uh, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to finish up the chapter here this evening. It is good to see Brother Israel Warren flying back through, and again, do be praying. I know he, his flight got canceled, I guess due to weather up there. Is that what's going on, that storm up there now? Yeah. <clears throat> And we're glad those those that are from St. Mary's are here. We're certainly glad you are here. And we hope our service is, is, is welcoming and a help to you. All right, verse number 18. Again, I think this can be such a genuine help in how you live your Christian life every day. And, and anyhow, we'll see that as I get through this. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Starts off with such a powerful statement. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was uh, about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. I thank you for your word. I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Help me to stay true to your word. Help me to be able to concentrate and, and to speak clearly. I pray the truth that we see here would come across and that it would change us and draw us closer to you. I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, as we know, in chapter 4, when we first started this chapter, I told you how the, the chapter is basically using Abraham as an illustration to, to substantiate what he just got done proving, going through Romans 1, 2, and 3, coming to it, the final statement of his thesis that starts in verse 21. Go back to verse 21 of chapter 3. This is what he was driving at from chapter 1 and 2 and 3. Chapter 4 is the illustration of Abraham proving it, and this was the main point. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, a couple of verses here. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That, that, that summarizes verse 23 with how we use it. He's summarizing chapters 1, 2, and 3 with what he was laying out in that simple statement. Verse 24 is key. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set 
forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So that was what he was driving at. The fact, uh, to put it simply, that the means of salvation for all men, doesn't matter who you are, how religious you are, how vile you are, who doesn't matter who you are, you all have broken God's law, and there is only one remedy. It's not the law, it's, it's, it's not works, it is only through faith in Jesus Christ. He was their propitiation. He was the one who satisfied the justice of Almighty God through His death on the cross that opened the door to salvation, and it is only, only, only through justification in Christ alone. And then he uses Abraham as an illustration. For instance, when we were in the book of Romans last time in chapter 4, he covered two particular areas using Abraham as a demonstration. How it is not by rituals and it's not by rules. It's not by circumcision. I mean, think of the multitudes today that do look to some type of ritual for their salvation. Multitudes under the banner of Christianity have put their trust in baptism for their salvation. They believe that's what converts them, that somehow we fill that with water and the Anchorage water system can wash away your sin. That will never happen. It's not in any ritual you do. It is by justification through what Jesus Christ did alone. Nor is it through rules. He meant when he used by that through Abraham's example was he was never saved by the law. Abraham, uh, Abraham's faith was, was he was saved by faith alone before the law was ever given. And now as we come into this section, he finishes, boy, with just a great picture of what Abraham's faith looked like. Um, and he's going to use this promise that God gave him as his last example of Abraham. Keep in mind, his whole point is this in going to Abraham, especially for the Jewish man. That if Abraham, who was, there, there's not another man in their religion that they hold to more character, integrity, good works than Abraham. If Abraham was not saved by keeping the law, by his good works, by his integrity, then neither can you be saved by that means. That it is only, only, only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. It's not through your church. It's not through your baptism. It's not through communion. You have been deceived. It is through faith in Christ alone. Look over in Genesis chapter 15 because these last verses are referring to what takes place in this chapter. Genesis chapter 15, just the the first couple of verses here I'm going to read. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this... Eliezer of Damascus, and Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he shall, be, he shall come forth out of thine own bowels, shall he be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, 
And tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Now get this, here it is. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. He was saved the exact same way we are. At that moment, and then we're going we're to see this as we go through this today, because of the faith of Abraham, at that moment, God imputed unto Abraham the necessary righteousness that he did not have. Why? Because of his faith. Because of faith. Abraham was 75 years old when the promise was given. It would take just about a full 25 years before that promise is fulfilled. We just look at it as we read through Scripture, and we think just a few seconds have passed. I want you to think about that. From the time the promise is given, 25 years will go by. That's significant. Abraham is a man who was waiting on God to fulfill the promise. He is waiting for the land that was promised. He is waiting for the seed that is promised. He is truly living by faith. He is living on hope of what God has told him. He's living on a promise. Just like the promise that is given to me of eternal life. He is a man that upon God's calling and God's direction and his faith, he made a complete break with the past. How often do we refuse to make a complete break from the past? He broke from his idols and he turned to worship the true and living God. Now, if we remember, he had a son born of Hagar. This would be the child born of the natural. He was born when Abraham was, would have been about 86 years old. Of course, then at 99, God would give him Isaac, the promised son. Abraham begot Ishmael in the power of human strength. Abraham begot Isaac in the, uh, in the power of God. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Go to verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he, was of the, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, the natural. But he of the free woman was by promise, by faith. Which things are an allegory. For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar, Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answer to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So he's doing an illustration here to show the difference between how, how what happened to Abraham is, is the exact same problem. That the Jewish nation was facing when Paul was preaching. Still trusting in the law. Trusting in the natural to fulfill the will of God and not faith. He 
Ishmael illustrates the principle of the flesh of rejecting the promise of faith and in the flesh seeking to accomplish the will of God. I'm going to quote one commentator on this. Ishmael equals flesh. Human effort, natural power. That's what happened. You know the story of what took place there. And, and I believe there's... I'm not, when I go through Genesis, I'll preach it out. There's two different viewpoints of what had happened that day from Abraham's side and from Sarah's side. <clears throat> Abraham's side, this definitely would have been weakness. It would have been temptation. It would have been outright sin. But anyway, let me get back to the quote from the commentator. Ishmael equals flesh, human effort, and natural power. That equals Sinai, law-keeping. That's, that's Paul's point in Galatians 4.22. That is manifesting the religion of Jerusalem, where they tried to earn their way to salvation, to a right relationship with God, and all they ended up with was bondage. Isaac illustrates supernatural power. There, I hope you're beginning to see my hope. What I want you, one of the things I want you to notice today is why God waited. He is even using what happened to Abraham as a perfect illustration, to be honest, between all world religions today and genuine Christianity. Of those who trust in works that leads to nothing but bondage. To those, though, who simply come to God by faith. Isaac, and back into the quote, Isaac illustrates supernatural power, spiritual power. Isaac is like the Jerusalem above. Isaac is connected to the promise and to the freedom of being liberated from sin by the fulfillment of a promise of God. The contrast is simply between human effort and divine power. That is literally how simplistic the difference between Ishmael's birth and Isaac's birth was. One came down to human reason. We're going to help God out. Human effort. The other one, that was all of supernatural power. When it comes to salvation, you don't help God out. So, as he concludes with this third, he uses, as we went through this, he used Abraham in three different ways of an illustration of showing salvation, uh, a justification is by faith alone. And justification means that has to take place for you to be saved. What that means is, is that the Creator God Almighty does a transaction in your life where He puts into your life, He imputes unto you. His perfect righteousness. Not that you deserve it. Not that you are righteous because you are not. It is what He does based on the faith of that person in what the Lord Jesus Christ did in His death, burial, and resurrection. At that moment, God declares that person righteous. That is salvation. That is salvation. By the way, does that... That also explains again, let me just tie this in, why perseverance of the saints is not true. Because at the moment that a person places their faith, just like Abraham, is God's righteousness imputed unto me, yes or no? It is. Perfectly at that moment. Done. Over with. 
My perseverance has nothing to do with it. My faith does. So, as he finishes this, though, there's something I want you to notice in this text. I'm not even into my message yet. He demonstrates in these verses, through what happened with Isaac, what Abraham's faith looked like. In other words, he is showing us what true faith actually looks like. Fascinating. The characteristics of true faith. And we all know there's something about true faith. As James will point out in the epistle that James wrote, we truly do act on what we believe. We act on genuine faith. It produces works. We act on what we believe. And I, don't, I, want, I want a true faith that affects my life. Not just some vain, empty church thing, but a genuine faith that affects my life. Abraham is an example of a man who had true faith in God, who lived in hope. And so I want us to see here this evening what Abraham's true faith looked like. And I'll give it to you, the points here, really quick right now, if you're ready. Number one, we're going to see it was profound. Number two, it was potent. Number three, it was perpetual. And number four, it was persuasive. And then it finishes with what it produced. First off, in verse 18, we see it was profound. Verse number 18 says, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abraham's true faith, the first characteristic we are given in verse 18, is that it was profound. I mean, what a statement is given here about the faith of of Abraham. Hope against hope. Who against hope believed in hope. There was no human reason that he should have had faith at all. I mean, let's move it forward. He's 95, 96, 97, 98. All these years are going by and passing by. There is no way within human reason he should have any hope that he is able to give Sarah a child. You know what he did? Against hope, believed in hope. That's faith. This is where we have trouble. We, we, within our own reason, have to see a path to it for us to have hope. We forget about the Almighty God. This was a man who believed in the Almighty God. Listen, that's not just a title, Almighty. Do you understand that? It's who God is. Abraham believed that. This is something that is amazing about faith in God. And when we get near the conclusion, I want to stress that. Because sometimes, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's just so much truth here that I think can be healthy. Sometimes the devil tricks us and gets us to put faith in faith and not faith in God. And that's where you stumble. 
And that is where you fall and you fall and you fall because you actually put faith in faith and not faith in God. But there's something amazing about faith in God. There are many times in life that we will be faced with situations where against hope, if you're going to walk by faith, you have to believe in hope. Where even when it's against hope, you have to believe in hope. That's when God works. Ask Daniel when he was in the den of lions. It doesn't say that about him, but that we could, we could say it with perfect accuracy, knowing what we know what takes place in Daniel chapter 6. Against hope, believed in hope. And David, when he fought Goliath, what a great example. Talk about a guy against hope, believed in hope. My goodness. Amazing. Understand this. If it looks hopeless, there is an almighty God. Those are the days you have to, against hope, believe in hope. Faith in God never leaves you without hope. Now in context here, this is dealing with ultimately what we justification unto salvation. The truth is, apart from God, understand, apart from God, you have no hope at salvation. None. The only way against hope that you can believe in hope when it comes to salvation is because of what God did with Christ. There is no hope apart from it. None. Abraham's faith, as we see in verse 18, was profound, but it was also potent. Look at verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. And when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Incredible. Boy, this, this point here can be such a help. It was potent, it was strong. He was not weak in faith. This is a faith that works. This is a faith that changes your life. This is a faith that changes how you even look at the world. He was not weak in faith. When the promise was given, as the years went by, he was not weak in faith. Understand this. The major reason why God delayed in sending Abraham and Sarah a son was to permit all their natural strength to decline. So there would be a deadness. So that nobody can look at it, at the situation and say it wasn't God. So that Abraham couldn't look back and have thoughts and say, God, no, this, this wasn't God, this was just circumstantial. From a reproductive point of view, both, as it tells us here, were dead. No hope. Understand, God did all this on purpose. There are multitudes of times in life when we don't understand all that God does, but those are still the times you have to trust Him. 
I can think of so many times, whether it's here or in New Guinea, where I did not understand. Or, or and many times didn't even agree with. And there are times, though, where later on, sometimes years later, where God made it so clear why he allowed difficult circumstances to come about where I could see why. Job certainly didn't understand. And I, Job's faith really is incredible. It is. I mean, think of what he just went through. But think of it, the faith he has in God. He stands up and he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. What we learn from verse 19, which is a demonstration of strong faith versus weak faith, is Abraham did not walk by sight, he walked by faith. He did not look at circumstances. This is key to the strength of his faith. He considered not his circumstances. Look at it. And being not weak in faith, because he had strong faith, this is what comes. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old. He did not look at the circumstances. See, too often, what keeps our faith weak is we're facing a situation. And note, Abraham considered not his own body now dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, our problem is this when we're facing a difficult situation. It's what we're considering. We're too busy considering the circumstances. We're too busy focusing on that. It's where our thoughts are, where our mind dwells that keeps your faith so weak. Abraham said, you know what? God said it. I believe it. I will not even consider the deadness that is in me and the deadness of my wife's womb. I'm not even going to consider it. That's faith. That's faith. What is it that you dwell on when you're facing those tough times? That is the difference between weak and strong faith. See, weak faith, this can occur because doubt begins to erode your confidence in God's Word. It begins to tear it apart. You see, what we know about Abraham is this. He believed that this very God who had called him out of that pagan land. Note he believed about him. This is important for everything that Paul is driving at. He believed this. This is in fact the creator. This is the one who is the creator. And the word for creation, remember what the Hebrew word means. It's fascinating. Out of nothing. Out of nothing. So what Abraham knew, because this was the creator, because he said it, this is God. He has the ability to create. He has the ability, though it be dead, to give it life. Though there be nothing, to give it something. That's why he didn't have, that's, that's why he could see, even though he had the deadness of his wife's womb, he knew what the creator could do. He knew that the very God who called him could call into existence things that do not exist. 
And again, he waited 25 years. 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. That alone speaks to his faith. Our faith today is so short-sighted. Our faith weakens when God does not act on our timetable. When maybe the only thing the Lord's trying to do is to bring you to a place where outside of human reason, there is no hope. We're against hope. You can still believe in hope because of the almighty creator. Again, this same principle demonstrates, which we also see in Hebrews, even without going to Hebrews, we could already see it, what he believed about Isaac when the Lord asked him to sacrifice Isaac. He's the creator. Though it be dead, he can give life. He knew it, and he believed it. So proof of strong faith is based on what you consider. If you're focusing on your circumstances, your faith is weak. You've got to focus on God, the Creator, the Almighty. Not only was his faith profound, potent, but it's also perpetual. Look at verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. It was perpetual. It was strong. It was steady. He staggered not. He was not moved. The word for stagger in this verse is diacrino. It means to uh, vacillate between two opinions. In other words, what it's saying is this. It's simply this. When the promise was given, Abraham did not flip-flop. He wasn't going back and forth. He determined God is able. He is able. I will not change from that. I don't care if it's one year, two years, 50 years, 100 years. God is able. He was not wavering. He was fixed. He was steady. His faith was perpetual, steadfast, unmovable, not vacillating, no staggering, no wavering. Much like the psalmist said in Psalm 57, 7, My heart is fixed, O Lord, my heart is fixed. Abraham's heart was fixed. It was steady. Boy, do we not want a faith that is perpetual, not movable? God is not looking for a faith based on your mood. God is not looking for fair weather faith. God is looking for a faith that will not quit. A faith that against hope believes in hope. We know Abraham's faith was strong and steady. He did not waver. He continued to seek God. He continued to trust God. He continued to obey God. Listen, don't let your circumstances unnerve you. Don't let false prophets unnerve you. Don't let your own logic unnerve you. Trust in the Lord. If the Almighty, all-knowing God said it, you can trust it. Now, 
since I'm here, let me go into this now. Satan tries to very much shake our faith and create doubt. He's going to attack there. He's always going to attack strong faith because it's very powerful. Sometimes he wants to take your faith and get it misdirected in something else, definitely not God. For instance, let's take one of the examples with the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he talked about, throw yourself down, your angels will catch you. It's written. And trying to tempt the Lord. Of course, the Lord responded, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It's as if almost of Satan, what he was trying to do here, not necessarily ignorant of what Christ's response would be, trying to almost challenge the faith of Christ. Trying to get Jesus to force God to protect him. Let me see if I can put that to what happens to us many times. How Satan applies that pressure to us. He tries you to get something, to do something, maybe even by faith, that God has never told you to do. And this is how he works. And many times you won't do it. It doesn't matter which way you go with this. It's almost like he got you. It's where you've got to just move on from that temptation. Just like Chris, I'll have nothing to do. I'm not playing this game with you. Because either way, he almost wins. See, if you don't, know what he does? He starts accusing your faith. Oh, look, at, look what little faith you have. Creating doubt in your mind. You don't believe God. He starts accusing you. Again, following one of his titles of slander and accuser. Of not really believing God and thus even crippling your own Christian life. When the truth is, the only thing that the devil's doing is manipulating you. That's all it is. It's a simple case of manipulation just like he was trying to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. What he was trying to do was, notice, is trying to put you, what I said earlier, is trying to put you to put faith in faith. It's not about putting faith in faith. It's about faith in God. Not faith for the sake of faith. Do you understand that? This is where he attacks so many. It's about faith in God. Please don't miss that. Now, look what this did for Abraham. This, this part I love. At the end of verse 20, it says this. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. As a result of his faith in God, he's given glory to God. It's not done yet. This is before it's happened. But because of his faith, I mean, he, he, as we're going to see, as we're going to finish up, he's persuaded. He's given glory to God for what he's going to do. That's what, this is what it's all about. It is, life is about glorifying God. This truly shows faith. And by the way, one thing good about Abraham, you never seen you. He doesn't do this for show. There are so many people who like to give God glory for show. Leave that between you and God. Make it about your relationship with Him and not about your relationship and how you look before others. See, Abraham in his heart, when, when, God, when God told him, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to happen. 
Abraham's strong faith in that. Glorifying God. By the way, this is, this is where you go where you understand the, the sin on Abraham's part when it came to Hagar. Abraham was persuaded of God. As a result of him, it led him glorifying God. And by the way, what a testimony, you know, of a life of faith lived is. Let let, let me get to the last characteristics of his faith here, verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Persuasive. His faith, the last characteristic of his faith that we see here, from this profound this potent faith that he had, it is persuasive. He was fully persuaded. He was convinced God would do this. Understand this. Abraham wasn't concerned if his body was fit. Abraham wasn't concerned if his faith was strong enough. Abraham wasn't concerned uh, um, if he might have heard it wrong. Abraham believed God would do this. That's simple. For us to live in hope, we need to be fully persuaded in our faith. And, And the truth is, we do live by faith. We have hope. Uh, Let's take it to our inheritance. As the Bible refers to our salvation, the inheritance that is yet to come. The truth is, all of us here, if you're saved, you're living in that faith and in that hope. There is not a one of us who heard directly from God himself in a contract, boom, hey, your sins are gone. We are trusting by faith in what God said. From his word. That will not be made manifest until the moment your soul leaves your body. Just like you remember when I was, my last time in New Guinea, um, when that plane caught fire. And I thought, oh, I cannot believe this is it. Not, not in a plane crash. And then that thought ran across my head really quick, because we did not think we were going we, we to make it back. And when a plane's on fire, you think, oh, wow, this is not, really not good. And the thought runs through my head. I still remember, Claire's bell, I better be right. <laughs> I better be right. <clears throat> but I still had more punishment from the Lord before I go to heaven by coming to Alaska winners. For to depart is far better than to be with you. <laughs> I mean, Paul actually wrote that. Isn't that great? <laughs> of course, he was in a Roman prison. I should not say anything. I mean, that guy had horrible conditions. But he did not live in Alaska. I do know that. I love it here. I'm just kidding. I love it. It's fantastic. We walk by faith. <clears throat> Abraham was fully persuaded. And then, um, I'll just briefly mention, Look at because I've been covering this for week, months through the book of Romans. Now, look what his faith then produced. All right, we, we saw the characteristics of it as we went down, how it was profound, 
how this, this faith was the strength of his faith. Um, it, 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 how it didn't, and he didn't, he didn't stagger back and forth, fully persuaded. Verse 22 now, as a result, look at this. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And then this gets really good. Now look, this is where Paul ties it together. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, alluding back to Romans three twenty one through 24. What it produced, of course, was salvation. It produces it. And that is what salvation is in. It is in Christ alone. It is in, it is in you and nothing. You don't mix this. You don't say, well, I believe Christ died for me, but I also got to get baptized. You have missed it. You are trusting in a ritual. It, it, well, I, it's in my good word. No, you, you've missed it. It is in Christ alone. It is in, just like it says right here, don't add to this. When we place our faith in what Christ did, righteousness is imputed unto us. I am justified before God. Christ's righteousness given to my life. I want to finish with a story as I was studying this that I really like. It was a true story from Dr. Harry Ironside. You might remember, sometimes the commentators I refer to is this, is this very man. He, he pastored for years uh, the Moody Church there in Chicago. And so he had visited a, and the story goes like this. He had visited a Sunday school class. They had no idea who he was. So the poor Sunday school teacher has Harry Ironside sitting in a Sunday school class. And he asked a question. He asked this question in this class. It was just a small class. He has no idea that this man who knows the Bible inside out is sitting there. He had said, how did the saints in the Old Testament get saved? And one of the men in the class responded. They had said, um... By keeping the law. And the teacher said, that's right. And so Brother Ironside spoke up. He says, my Bible says that uh, by the keeping the law shall no flesh be justified. He said, true. Well, does somebody else have another answer? And another uh, man put his hand up and said, uh, it was by the sacrifices they did. And he said, that's right. It was by the sacrifices. And um, Dr. Ironside spoke up. Um, my Bible says that by the blood of bull and goat shall no flesh be justified. And by this point, the Sunday school teacher realized that this man sitting here knows a whole lot more Bible than he does. And so he finally said, sir, so how did the Old Testament saints come to know Christ? He said, by faith. Which is true, as we see it right here in Abraham. The same way we get saved. Justification by faith. Abraham's faith was genuine. It led to a profoundness that even when they're against hope, he could have hope. It was potent. He had strength with this thing. It was perpetual, it was steady. He didn't stagger. He was persuaded. This is what genuine faith looks like.
See, well, I don't have that. No. We all have a measure of faith. Understand this. Just sometimes, in some of the different problems I alluded to, sometimes we put faith in faith, at least to doubt. Sometimes we're listening to Satan's manipulation. You have got to come to simply God's word on the matter and settle it. Determined to stay there, to walk by faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, I want to ask a very important question as we're concluding our service right now. I want you to listen to me. If you were to die right now, if death is to find you this evening, your soul leaves your body, is it going to heaven or is it going to hell? Where are you going when you die? You say, Pastor, I don't know. If you say either I don't know or I'm worried I would go to hell, Please, I, I want to pray for you. I want to be a help to you. Say, Pastor, please. Yes, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I don't know where my soul's going. Or I am concerned that I would go to hell. Would you just put your... Let me pray for you. I won't call you out. Anybody here like that right now, just put your hand up for me. Let me pray for you. I see some small children is all I see. If you put your hand up, I missed it. I would need you to do it again for me because I, I did not see it. All right, Christian, we have a great example in Abraham. We can be facing some really challenging times. Abraham was a man, when he saw it was a promise of God, even against hope, believed in hope, because of the almighty creator. Because of his power. His faith was able to stay strong because of what he dwelt upon, what he considered and what he did not consider. He did not stay around every day wondering, but, but Sarah's womb is dead. What am I going to do? He didn't dwell on the circumstances. He dwelt on God, who was the creator, who though it be dead, he could give life. He didn't limit God to his human reasoning. His understanding of God based on him being the creator, which is the basis he would have to go off of in his, in his day. And then he determined not to stagger back and forth, but to let it stay perpetual, steady. Steady. That takes discipline. live persuaded even if you got to wait 25 years even if you got to wait 50 years trust in him father in heaven lord we love you pray that you bless this invitation lord i pray this in christ's name amen let's all stand to our feet page number 59 if you need to come and pray this evening you come and pray mm -hmm.